Hi, and welcome to Recovered, a podcast from the Magdalene House, a recovery community for alcoholic women. We are a 501c3 nonprofit organization based in Dallas, Texas, and known by many as Maggie's. Each week, a recovered alcoholic woman is interviewed and asked questions about certain topics surrounding her journey of recovery with your host, Stephanie Crawford. Whether you're in recovery yourself, contemplating giving it a try, or just supporting someone who is, we are so glad you're here. Thanks for listening. Hello, podcast listeners and Next Step participants and graduates. My name is Stephanie Crawford, and I am the host of this here Recovered Podcast Interviews with Alcoholic Women. And today is a very special day, and I feel like I say that every single time, but today is a very special day because we're having uh, one of our staff members on, Carly, and she is going to be talking to us all about her own personal experience, strength, and hope. And if you all enjoy this podcast or any other podcast, please uh, leave us a review on Apple's iTunes. Um, It really does help us reach more alcoholic women. Um, All of our services provided at the Magdalene House are free of charge. And because we're not state funded, we can help women from really worldwide if if we wanted to or if if they needed our services. And our services are very high quality And so this podcast helps reach those women who otherwise would not know about Maggie's and the reviews help us do that. And so we've had a few referrals that come from this podcast um, and your reviews help. All right. So if you do not know Carly, uh, you will have your opportunity now and I think you will grow to love her. Not that you have to grow to love her. She's very easy to love just as much as I do. So Carly, if you don't mind giving us a little background on qualify yourself as an alcoholic woman and what led you to get sober. Well, good morning, ladies. I'm Carly. I'm a recovered alcoholic. My sobriety date is August 9th, 2019. Still can't believe that. I guess I'll just do a little bit of my story. I had my first drink when I was probably about 14 and I got into a liquor cabinet with some of my friends. And now looking back from that very first night, I already was drinking differently than everybody else. We were pre-gaming for a party we were going to and everybody else just had a little bit and went to the party. And before we were even supposed to go to the party, I was already vomiting and had to spend the whole night in the bathroom because that's how much I was drinking. So that mental obsession wasn't there yet, but I was, it's like the allergy had already started to kick in. I mean, I just, I had to drink um, so much. I loved the effect. I was like, I can't believe like, this is what this does to me. I feel great. And, you know, until I was sick, I, you know, I didn't grow up. um, I grew up in a fairly normal household. My, you know, my parents are still married. I have one older sister. She's five years older. I I was exposed to alcohol. My parents were the type that would come home and have one or two beers after work. And I even remember being little and, you know, of course they told me, you know, this is an adult beverage. You can't have this. And I'm, I remember I was already obsessed. Like I can't wait until I can. And so you know, through high school, I just kind of, after that one instance, I kind of decided I was going to take it easier. Um, and then I got to college and that's when things kind of started to take off. At that point, I was still kind of drinking, um, like a normal college kid does, but by my sophomore year, uh, things were kind of starting to get out of hand. My parents were so strict. So by the time I got to college, I was like game on. And I had gone from, you know, controlling it, just kind of doing it on the weekends to it becoming a nightly thing to the point where I had this great education at Texas Tech completely paid for by my family. And I ended up failing out my sophomore year because all I wanted to do was drink. That was fun to me. I I loved how it made me feel And so finally, my parents had told me, you know, you, you can stay in Lubbock, but we're not paying for it anymore. 
So of course I was like, all right, well, I'm just going to come back to Dallas. So I came back and I was living with my parents. And so I kind of kept the drinking a little bit more under control. I was working in the service industry at the time. And then I ended up getting a job, um, a full time nine to five that a, a friend had hooked me up with. And everything was great. I was independent. I had, you know, had my, well, I say I had my own place. I always lived with boyfriends, but I had an apartment and, you know, I had a car. I was making good money. I was paying all my bills, including my credit cards. I mean, everything was fine. And so I think it would probably be about um, 2016 is when things started to get a little funny. I was in a long-term relationship with um, somebody that I thought I was going to marry, you know, Um, and we were living together and I had started to, my drinking really took a turn. I went from drinking on the weekends to happy hour, happy hour turned into closing down the bar. And then by the weekend, I just didn't want to be sober at all. And, you know, that boyfriend of mine, um, he was the first person to tell me, he was like, you don't drink like you used to, like something's different now. And of course I thought he was crazy. I was not receptive to hearing that. Um, and I I didn't want to believe it. I was like, okay, well, I'm, you know, I, I just, I have my home bar where everybody knows me, my cheers, you know, I just like spending time there. But, you know, the problem with that is I wasn't spending time anywhere else. It was just the bar. And it gradually developed into uh, me just drinking all the time. I mean, I was not sober. I would have to drink in the morning just to feel normal to go to work. And I remember one time my coworker asked me, she said, did you drink last night? And I was like, yeah. And she's like, you smell like booze. Well, in reality, I had taken a few shots that morning just to be able to go to work because I was so shaky. So I remember, you know, having a lot of talks with this, with the boyfriend I was living with. And, you know, there was one night when he really sat me down and he's like, I think you have a problem. And I didn't want to hear that because I didn't think I had a problem. But I remember I told him, I was like, okay, I'm, I'm going to be good. So there was never, um, I'm going to stop drinking. It was, I'm going to be good. But I remember we went down to the kitchen and I poured out all of my liquor and you would think someone asked me to like shoot a puppy. I mean, I was devastated pouring that bottle down and I was like starting to think, I'm like, why am I feeling like this about alcohol? It's just alcohol. But you know, of course I probably didn't drink for two days. And then I'm like, see, I was good. (laughs) And so after that went on and on, I mean, we were together for three years. Uh, the last year of our relationship, I was just a mess. And so he, you know, of course there were things that happened, but he finally broke up with me. And I mean, that was now looking back, that was the really big first blow that I had as far as consequences were concerned, because I really thought that he and I were going to be together forever. And, but he was like, I'm done. Like, I'm not dealing with this anymore. I don't care. I'm not doing it. And so I, I ended up moving out and I was still working at that same job somehow. And, um, I moved in with a friend down in Dallas near Greenville Avenue where all the bars are. And I just, I'm like, well, I don't have to worry about anyone else now that I'm single. So I can drink as much as I want. And so it it started to get really bad. You know, I would start going to lunch and drinking at lunch and I was a hard liquor drinker. I, it wasn't go have a beer at lunch and come back and be able to function. I mean, I was a shot taker. I did not use mixers. I liked just straight liquor. And so finally I get let go from this job. I was coming in late if I came in at all. And so they finally called me and they said, pack your stuff and leave. And I had been there for seven years. I, I, I got hired there when I was 22 years old. So being in your twenties and growing with a company for seven years at that age is a really big deal. But I mean, they even finally were like, you, you aren't performing like you used to, and you're never here or you're late. My coworker, I know she knew I was drinking on the job. Her and I have become very close. So I got let go and I was 
just kind of living off of unemployment. And then I had a friend of mine who um, we were good friends and it turned romantic. And so I ended up moving in with him. He is successful and um, was kind enough to uh, support me. Um, but I ended up just, that's when I really started to drink. I was an everyday, all day drinker. Um, at this point, I, I was I was still not working. And, you know, he would wake up at 6 a.m. to go to work and get in the shower, like clockwork every day. And I knew, I was like, okay, I can go pound a few shots while he's in the shower. He's never gonna know. And so I would do that and then I'd run back and get in bed and he'd come out of the shower and I'm just, you know, acting like I've been asleep. So he would go to work and I would just drink all day. And then he would come home and I would act like I hadn't been drinking all day. And so I'd be like, let's take a shot when he'd get home. And of course he's like, it's Monday night. I don't need to take a shot. <laughs> and so, you know, I, it got to the point where I would start buying my own stash to keep in the bedroom because there were nights he didn't want to drink. And I'm like, okay, well, this is the bottle we're sharing. If, if I don't have my own stash, he's going to see how much I'm drinking. And so we, we lived together for a while and then we went on a trip to Mexico where I just made a total fool of myself with some friends. It was really, really bad and behavior that I had never displayed before. And so we got back in town and he's just like, he, I can see he's just kind of fed up, but he doesn't really know the extent of it because at this point I'm hiding it. And so I, I tried to have some jobs here and there. I would drink on those jobs. Um, one of them, my boss came into the office. I thought I was the only one there for the day. She came in and I was sleeping at my desk. I mean, it was really, really bad. And at this point, I wasn't even leaving at lunch to go drink. I was bringing like the little airplane bottles in my purse and just going to the bathroom. <laughs> all throughout the day. And so I get fired from that job. I'm still living with him. He clearly notices that something's not right with me, but I'm in that point where I'm defensive and I'm like, you can't tell anybody because he wanted to. He didn't like that I was doing that. But I think, you know, a lot of, especially our loved ones, they, a lot of people like to think it's a phase and nobody really wants to acknowledge that there is a serious, serious issue here. And so at this point, I'm drinking from 6am all throughout the day with a couple of little naps in between. I remember just binging friends on Netflix. That was my thing. Um, it was like the only thing that made me happy. And then I would drink until two o'clock in the morning, sleep a couple hours and then do it all over again. I was drinking, you know, almost a gallon, at least a gallon a day of hard liquor. And so this goes on and on. And eventually I'm really, really depressed. I'm not taking care of myself. I was showering in the sense that I was rinsing off my body but my hair started to get really matted. It was like, it was, it looked like it was stuck up in like a messy bun on my head, except there was no hair tie in it. It was just completely matted. I didn't know how to get it out. I didn't even honestly notice that was happening. I mean, this is how <clears throat> oblivious I was because I was just drunk all the time. And so that was happening. I wasn't eating. I got down to a hundred pounds and I'm five, nine. Um, so that's really, really bad. And I'm really depressed. I'm just sitting in bed, like with the bottle next to me at this point and a trash can full of vomit. And I would just leave it there for days. I mean, this poor guy, and he's just, you know, he's just in shock. He doesn't even know what to do with me. And of course, at this point, I still don't think I have a problem, right? <laughs> I just think I'm having a bad, a bad period in my life. Well, then I started having other physical effects. My legs started being really restless and then painful. It got to the point where they were in, I was in so much pain in my legs that I would have to crawl to the shower while my hair is matted on my head and I'm just physically deteriorating and I don't know what's going on with me. I got so depressed to the point that every night I was like, maybe this will be the night that I just drink enough and that'll be it. I mean, and I had never, ever experienced 
any sort of depression like that in my life. I mean, it's like it just came out of nowhere. And I didn't even put together at the time that it was a direct result of my drinking. But I knew that the thoughts scared me. So I remember um, I still, you know, I I think back, I don't even know what prompted me to call this person, but I called one of my aunts who lives in Wisconsin. And, and you know, I don't really talk to my extended family on the phone, but something told me to call her. And of course, I don't think she knows that I'm drunk, but she does say to me, she's like, you know, um, alcoholism runs in our family. And I was like, what do you mean? And of course, in my mind, I'm like, why is she even telling me this? And, um, and you know, she had told me my great aunts were full blown alcoholics. And I remember her saying specifically, she was like, so just be careful, because you know, it's lurking. That was the word she said. And I'm like, okay, well, that's not what's going on here. Um, I'm just I'm just having a bad time. So anyway, I finally, um, I see my mom and she is just devastated when she sees my hair. At this point, she, she knows that I was a heavy drinker. My parents had caught on to that in the last couple of years, but at this point, I'm living with my boyfriend. So she doesn't know that this is what my life is right now. So she was like, we have got to fix your hair. Like this is insane. And so no hairstylist wanted to even attempt to fix it. So my mom ended up having to find someone that specialized in um, doing hair for cancer patients that, you know, um, that are losing their hair and these hairstylists, you know, can do what they can with what they have left. So that's how I ended up getting my haircut. And I mean, she thought she was going to have to shave it. And she ended up giving me this cute bob. And I remember um, my mom sobbing when she saw it. And I, and I know now why she was sobbing because she was just devastated that we were even in this situation. And she was happy that I still had hair left. But I, at this point, I still in my mind don't really understand the gravity of this situation. So I end up, you know, I go back to, to my house with my boyfriend and still drinking and my leg pain is getting more and more intense. Like I can't even really walk at this point. And, and I had usually would see my parents at least once a week because they only lived about 30 minutes away. But I'm not really talking to them. I'm not seeing anybody. I'm MIA from my friends. And so I finally end up going to a baby shower for a really close family friend. She's like a sister to me. And my mom was there. And I learned later on that my friend's husband, who, you know, the baby shower was for them, had seen my mom and told my mom, you need to prepare yourself for how Carly looks. And I didn't know that until about a year ago. And I was, I was just so skinny yet. My face was very bloated. I have a picture of me from that baby shower and it doesn't even look like me, but my mom was like, I'm taking you to the doctor. This is crazy. So she takes me to the doctor. Um, it's at Baylor Plano. And of course the doctor asked me, how much are you drinking every day? And I'm like, maybe, maybe five drinks, you know, we always lie about that. No one's ever going to tell the truth. And I remember she like pressed down on my liver and I was in excruciating pain. At this point, I'm not even really able to walk at all. And she's like, you need to go to the ER. So they put me in a wheelchair. They take me to the ER and I'm laying there and they're like feeling around on my body. And they're, they look at me and they're like, we can't even find a pulse. Like you should be dead right now. And so, and I'm still, my mom is just crying in the corner. I'm just sitting there like, oh, I've never been in the ER before. (laughs) Like totally oblivious to what is happening. And so I ended up getting admitted and they put me in there for DTs and I had a fatty liver and I was 30 years old. And that was a shock. I was like, well, I just drink like all my other friends do. Why do I have a fatty liver? You know, still, still justifying everything, not realizing what's going on. And so I stayed in the hospital for a week and, um, and I'm having to do a little bit of physical therapy. They had to put this like belt thing around me and my dad, my poor dad had to walk me around my hospital floor. I'm I'm walking like I'm learning to walk again. And it turns out I had alcoholic neuropathy in my legs because of the excessive amount of alcohol that I was drinking. And so, and my family, uh, my extended family, including that aunt that I had been calling, 
just happened to be coming in town to visit the day that I got admitted into the hospital. And so my mom would stay with me every day. But there was one day that my aunt stayed and um, in place of my mom. And I remember looking at her and I was like, why am I still alive? And she was like, because I think you're going to help people one day. And at the time, sorry, that makes me emotional. Um, At the time, I still, this is the insanity of alcohol. Like, I still didn't understand what I was doing. I'm sorry, I did not expect this. (laughs) Um, I didn't understand like what I was doing to myself. And I just kind of like rolled my eyes. I was like, how am I going to help anybody look at me? I'm in this hospital bed. I can't even walk. I'm having a nurse and her nurse day. I mean, they're having to bathe me, you know, just not even functioning. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to help people. Okay. Like we'll see. And so anyway, I'm getting ready to discharge from the hospital and my alcoholic brain is thinking, yay, I'm not shaking for the first time in like two years. They put me back together. I'm going to go back out and do my thing. And my parents are like, no, you're going somewhere. You're going to rehab. And I was, I was appalled. I mean, how dare they think that I need to go to treatment? And so um, I go to this place and it was too weak. I would compare it more to, a, it was more of a psychiatric facility. It did not really do anything for alcoholics. And at this point, I'm just going to appease my family. But I mean, it was one of those, I mean, you could not have laces in your shoes. You had to wear scrubs. It you know, but I was just kind of like, okay, so I go, I remember, you know, my parents driving, driving up and I see everybody outside, like having outside time and they're all wearing scrubs. And I was like, mom, you cannot leave me here. And she was like, well, you have to go. So I go in at this point, I have to be in a wheelchair because my legs, um, my nerves are still so shy. I can't really walk. And so here I am rolling into this place in a wheelchair. And I'm just like, how is this my life right now? Like what happened? I still don't think I'm an alcoholic, right? Still don't think. So I go to this place and it ended up being fine. You know, my parents visited every day. I got so many cards from friends and family members, you know, oh, get well, you know, you're gonna do so good. You know, this the first time where everyone like still loves me. Um, and so I, I stay there. It was it was a shocking experience. Some of the things I saw there, but I powered through and then I got out and I moved back in with my parents. And I went to 12 step fellowship. <laughs> um, they, they told me they were like, you're gonna go here and you're gonna be sober. And I'm like, I didn't want to be sober. That's how baffling it is. I just left the hospital. I just went to a facility in a wheelchair and I still didn't think I had a problem with alcohol. And so, but I went because I was living with my family. Everything that people were saying was resonating with me. But again, I'm not an alcoholic, right? And I see the steps on the wall. I see the word God and... I was like, okay, I was like, if I even think about doing this, I'm like, those steps are supposed to fix this. And I'm like, and I didn't really have a relationship with God. I didn't really believe in God. I hadn't, I I really honestly hadn't thought about it before, but it just was, it wasn't something in my life. So I ended up going, I got a sponsor. I would talk to her, but I remember telling her in one of our meetings, I said, I don't want to be here. I'm here because my family wants me to be here. And she was like, well, you're here, honey. And I was like, okay, you know, it felt like everybody around me was telling me not to do, not to drink, um, not to do something that felt natural to me. And so I stayed sober for five months, hadn't even really opened the book, just kind of going to meetings, doing what I was told. And then I relapsed. My sister had come in town and from California and I just so casually was like, yeah, And my parents were out of town. That's why she came to stay with me. And it's so casually, I just told her, I was like, I'm drinking again. Well, of course, she stays for the weekend. I ruined the whole thing. She has to do everything we wanted to do um, together by herself because I'm just getting drunk and passing out. She leaves. She tells my parents. And of course, I'm mad at her. How are you going to tell mom and dad that I'm drinking again? How dare you? So I'm like, okay, 
and I didn't like that shame and guilt that I felt with my family. I didn't like going and getting a new um, desire chip at the 12 step meeting. I didn't like that feeling. So I was like, you know what, this time I'm done. And I thought I meant it. I really, really did. I was like, I don't want to feel that feeling ever again. That sucked. And so I stayed sober a couple more months and then I drank again. And, but this time I think I'm good because I'm only doing it on the weekends. And this is a secret relapse. Nobody knows about this one except for the people I was drinking with. And none of them knew what I had been through. It was kind of newer outside friends. So, so they drank with me because they didn't know any better. So I'm, I'm only drinking on weekends, but I had that mental obsession all week. I could not wait until Friday. I was like, yes, it's Friday. I get to go to their house. I'm going to drink. And I'm like, and the best part is nobody even knows about it. (laughs) And so I did that for a couple of months. And then like the, the weight of the lies, um, really started to, to weigh on me. I mean, I'm like, what am I, what am I going to do when everybody thinks I'm hitting one year, but really I've secretly been drinking. I mean, it kept me up at night. I, I really didn't like that. And then I, you know, I felt bad. My parents had kept me in their house through the first relapse and I just, I, I felt I felt really bad and I didn't know how to get myself out of the situation. At this point, my health has gotten better. I'm no longer in a wheelchair. You know, I'm, I'm on meds to help with my legs. So physically, I'm starting to get better. But mentally, I was getting worse. So finally, on August 2nd of 2019, I went to a concert and I was drinking and um, and just doing everything under the sun. And I ended up going over to someone's house where I could drink. And I just, it was kind of like I turned off my phone and just went on the biggest bender of my life. And I'm just drinking. I'm, I feel bad because my phone's off. Um, my family, I'm, you know, I was living with them. They don't know where I am. I won't talk to anybody. And I finally just, I remember the day I ended up calling Maggie's I looked in the mirror and I had to drink in the bathroom at this point because my body was literally rejecting it. I would take a shot and then I would vomit and then I would take a shot. I would just keep doing it until I could keep it down. And I remember looking in the mirror and watching my eyes turn bloodshot and I just didn't even know who I was. So physically, this wasn't even really my rock bottom, but this felt like the rock bottom because everything, the reality of everything was really hitting me. And so I remember just being like, okay, I, I think, I think that's it. Like, I, I don't, I don't want to live like this anymore. So I called my, my sponsor who I hadn't really been utilizing, but God bless her. She was there for me. And she was like, well, why don't you call Maggie's? And I was like, what's Maggie's? (laughs) And so she, uh, she was like, Google it, call them and then call me back. I'm like, okay. So I look and, you know, at the time, of course, it was still the Redwood house. And I'm like, well, this is a cute little house. Like this looks more welcoming than the psych ward I was at last time. And um, so I, you know, I called them and I did a phone screen and she's like, okay, you're approved. And she's like, be here at 9am tomorrow morning so you can get a bed. So I called my sponsor and she said, okay, she was like, I'll take you. And then I called my mom, you know, hadn't talked to her in a week. And I told her, I was like, I'm going to this place called the Magdalene house. If you want to look it up, I was like, my sponsor is going to take me in the morning. I was like, but I do need a refill on my meds. And I was like, can you please pick them up for me? Cause, um, I didn't have a car at this point. My car had gotten repoed twice. And by the second time I was like, well, that's one less thing I have to worry about. So I'm begging my mom to get my prescriptions so I can go to Maggie's. So I ended up um, Ubering home and walking into my parents' house with my tail in between my legs. And my mom just kind of throws the the bag of prescriptions at me. And she's like, good luck. You know, a lot different than the first time when I'm getting visits every day and cards. So I packed, I go to bed and I woke up and my sponsor picked me up on the morning of Friday, August 9th, 2019. And she took me to Maggie's. And, um, that's kind of, I don't know if you want me to stop, stop no, there. 
Yeah. That was, I didn't realize how bad of an alcoholic you were. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it was bad. I mean, because like we only know each other like in recovery, you know, but God, and I mean, I cried like, I mean, it was, I also want to say like, we didn't actually start your part of this until 10 after. So ladies, if you guys want to get off at 10, you absolutely can or before that. But Carly, do you mind staying until 10 after so we can get a full hour? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Cool. Are you an alcoholic woman in recovery seeking connection? Maggie's Women's Group is a fellowship group for women in recovery to build friendships and connect with the community at the Magdalene House. Maggie's Women's Group is open to any alcoholic woman in recovery, not just Maggie's alumna. To find out how to get involved and connect with us on Facebook, please visit magdalenehouse.org slash maggie's women's group. First, does anybody have any questions before I ask? Okay. The sponsor that brought you, was that Haley? No, Haley's actually um, a relatively new sponsor from earlier in the year. Yeah, this is a sponsor from um, the the group I was going to up in Carrollton. Oh, okay. Well, I think... One of the things I did want you to talk about is a relationship with your sponsor, because it looks like you guys are really close. And so, and it really, it looks as if you guys really do walk shoulder to shoulder. So do you mind talking about how you met her and how that relationship has grown into what it is today? Absolutely. So she's, um, she's not, she's not the sponsor that took me through the steps. I had, um, amazing sponsor that got me through the steps you know I felt like a new woman after my fifth step but once we were done with the steps I just didn't the connection just wasn't there anymore and there was nothing that she did wrong you know and so I I had met Haley so I was living in Oxford house and sober living and Haley was a a member of chapter she was our secretary so I would see her at some Oxford events she would come to our house if chapter came to any of our house meetings and I just always really respected everything she said and I thought she always did it in a very like dignified way whereas sometimes that what that's not always the case um And, but I didn't really know her. I knew she was sponsoring one of my roommates and, you know, she lived in in an Oxford house, a street away from me. And she wasn't really on my radar as far as sponsorship went. But I remember I got to a point where I just felt like I needed, um, I needed a sponsor that I would actually, you know, be comfortable calling because I feel like that was my issue with my, my original sponsor when I first was trying to get sober. Um, it it felt like a chore when they say, call me every day. I'm like, Oh, I feel awkward. Maybe they won't answer and I can leave a voicemail. And I didn't want to be in that place. And so I just randomly, I texted Haley. I happened to have her number from when I was in Oxford and she said, or I texted her and I said, Hey, this is Carly. You know, I used to live at this house and I was like, can you sponsor me? And she was like, yeah, absolutely. And so the first time we met, we talked for four hours. I mean, it was just this undeniable connection where I'm like, why hasn't this person been in my life? Like all this time we used to live a street away from each other. You know, and the the important thing is, is that we have that really good balance of her being my friend, but also being my sponsor. And no matter what happens, I am 1000% transparent and honest with her. Even if I may not always take her advice, I will call her and I, and I'm, I'm honest with her. And so we're just able to maintain that line. But I think for me, for this alcoholic, having a sponsor that I 1000% trust and feel comfortable going to is amazing. And it, it really made me um, become great at 10th stepping. I feel like I usually never go to bed with anything heavy on my heart or my mind. And um, so yeah, it's, it's been she's been pivotal for me, especially the last year. The last year has been really rough on me. And 
having her and guiding me back to God when I, you know, when I'm being impatient and I'm like, no, but I just need you to help me right now. You know, she always guides me back to God. And I mean, it's just, I am just in shock that I, I just feel so lucky that she is my sponsor. We have a great sponsor family in general. So that's one. So you have a sponsor family. Tell me what that's mm-hmm. like. Yeah. So my, I mean, so Haley sponsor, which would be my grand sponsor. She's um, really heavy in the recovery community. And she, what's her executive? name? What's her name? Jennifer De Silva. Oh, okay. So she's the executive director of Simply Grace. But I remember I had even messaged her and I was just going to be asking her a question about Simply Grace, I think for one of our clients, but she immediately comes back. She's like, are you okay? What's going on? And I'm like, oh yeah, I'm fine. You know? And so I, you know, I just feel like I have that group of women and then there's other women that Haley calls my aunts. But so we, it's just very tight knit. I I know that if I can't get with Haley, I can call someone else, but That's yeah. Wonderful. So good. So, you know, you mentioned earlier, your aunt said you're going to, I think you're going to help people one day, which makes me want to cry again, thinking about that. Tell me about that. You're helping people today, right? Yes. Yeah. I mean, I, I know it's still, it gives me chills that she said that and I totally blew it off at the time but she was right you know I um I decided to make the move to nonprofit and work in treatment after I had just about I was hit about to hit a year sober at my previous line of work but I was very unfulfilled and I felt like I literally should be dead I feel like God wants me to be here for a reason and I need to give back what has been so freely given to me. And um, so I ended up, you know, originally working at Nexus and then the opportunity at Maggie's happened. You know, I'm on the prowl for new sponsees. I've had the, <laughs> Haley and I were talking about this last night. Like I've had the worst luck with sponsees falling off. And so, but I also, you know, the last year has been really rough and I wasn't ex- very available. So I'm like in God's timing, but, um, I'm very transparent with everybody about my recovery. I post a lot about it on social media. I literally every, every week I at least have one person that reaches out to me in regards to being in a struggle themselves or with a family member. And, you know, I'm just, I'm always there to lend an ear. I'm really involved in my recovery community. Um, a lot of people message me and they're like, oh my God, you just, you're always doing something. You look like you're living your best life. And I'm like, and all these people are in recovery. We all, you know, we're all like-minded and, you know, and I'm the treasurer of my home group. So it's, it's just so important to me. I, I can't believe that I feel the way I do now and that alcohol is no longer a part of my life. And it's just because, because of this program, I mean, completely for free. And I'm like, I feel like I just have to shout it from the rooftops and be there for people. I mean, that's why I think I'm still alive today. Cause I should be dead. Well, you are very active in the recovery community. Can you just talk about what it's like to have a social life and have fun sober? Because I feel like that can be such a, I remember asking my first sponsor in a 12 step program that deals with alcohol, say like, what do you guys do for fun? And she was like, I don't know, but I know that I have fun. I just do things and they're fun. And that made no sense to me. But now it now it does. So I feel like that was such a big worrisome for me. I'm sure it's worrisome for other people. Like, how do you have fun without alcohol? What do you do without alcohol? How do you have friends without alcohol? How do you date without alcohol? You know, we can like increase the list, right? Um, So do you mind talking about that to our listeners or the new ladies on the call? Absolutely. So I remember when I was at Maggie's, I asked one of the recovered women, I said, what do you guys do to have fun? Because I was at a loss. I mean, for me, alcohol was the fun. It was what made everything fun. If there was an event that didn't have alcohol, I was sneaking my own in. So, you know, it, I mean, I, I like to tell people, you can do anything you would do when you were drinking, except you're sober, which sounds really easy. But to a newcomer, I know it's like, it do- that doesn't really mean anything to you. What I can say about that is that for me, it obviously helps being around other 
uh, people in recovery. That way everyone's sober. And so, but my, I I say, you know, I have so much fun in recovery and I think this is actually the perfect timing for me to do this podcast because even now a little over two years later is the best I've ever felt. And me being able to have fun sober is a direct result of me being comfortable with myself. So it kind of has grown and grown in time for me, you know, but I I do, I, it sounds so cliche, but you can do everything. Um, I did stay away from being, um, with any normie friends who are all very respectful and ask still, but I did for probably a year. And that's why I was on a mission to make friends with people in recovery. Oxford house was a really, really good way for me to start making friends. Maggie's of course, we are so, so blessed that you automatically have like a thousand sisters when you come through. And I just, I just started going to events. I follow several sober groups on Facebook, they post stuff. I'm saying, Hey, this looks fun. I text somebody else in recovery. You want to go to this? We, my group of friends, we play volleyball twice a week, every week. I just started networking. Honestly. I mean, I'm like, this is my life. This is what I want. So I'm going to do whatever I can. I just make friends and you do it together. And it's funny. I learned, you know, I always thought like concerts or sporting events or things, you always had to have a beer in your hand. But that's just not the case. And, you know, I enjoy things. I remember things. I feel great the next day. I'm not waking up ashamed. I mean, it it is true that you can do everything, you know, sober that you would have done when you were drinking. It's just a matter for me personally, in full transparency, it just took time for me to get more comfortable with myself to really allow myself to have that fun. And if I could look back and tell myself when I was at 30 days, like just let loose, it's going to be okay. I would, but I can't change the past, but I just, I just try really hard to stay busy with my friends. There's so many ways to get involved. I mean, I've just from pictures I post on Facebook, I'll have people in the program be like, can I come to y'all stuff? And I'm like, yeah, it's for everybody. You know, um, you just got to put yourself out there, but it is possible to have fun while mm-hmm. sober. Trust me. I didn't think it was. <laughs> yeah. I, I love uh, concerts and live music sober. It's like a whole different experience. Like, cause you actually get to feel the music and be a part of the music. And like, it's just, it's amazing. It's also something I thought I would, you would always have to have a drink in your hand for. And now it's one of my favorite things in the world to do. And I would only want to do it sober now. Cause you miss out on the experience of the music, you know, yeah. I did because I was so drunk, you know? Yeah. I mean, I, I've seen my favorite artist several times and I really don't even remember most of them, you know? Oh, and I didn't touch on the dating. Do you want me to touch on that? Sure. No, um, talk about dating. <laughs> dating sober is definitely more difficult than having fun sober. I did break, which Stephanie, you know, a little bit about this. I did break the cardinal rule and got in a relationship when I was at about 60 days. And I got in a relationship with somebody who was also new. We were on the same page. And I thought that was great. We're both in recovery. We can go to meetings. It didn't really turn out like that. It was okay for about a year. But then he, he, then he relapsed and I was really naive. I was really shocked that somebody relapsed, which is crazy to say, but especially when it's someone so close to you. So, you know, I dealt with a lot of the back and forth on that for the last year. So the last few months have been really when I've been available to date because I'm not in that relationship. And it is it is a little more tough. And I'm, I'm not even really sure if if I sh- if God wants me to be with a normie or someone in recovery. And so that that's something I'm going to kind of let happen organically. But I will say, you know, getting in a relationship as a newcomer, it, it was not detrimental or anything, but it did make it more tough. And my focus wasn't always on me. And then when that breakup happened, I mean, as somebody that 
had a started out with a new um, relationship with a higher power, though, I really leaned on God. And I had told my sponsor, I was like, after all that I've been through with that, like, I trust God more than ever. So you know, it kind of all worked out. But it is definitely strange (laughs) dating sober. And that's why I'm not doing it right now. (laughs) And I'm living my best life. Uh, oh my gosh. Yeah. Whenever you were saying like, Oh, I met this guy and we're both sober. We're going to be out doing all these things. Reminds me of a, a friend of mine. I don't think he'll ever listen to this, but he was telling me because he was going through this breakup of a very self-willed relationship. He's like, well, you know, like I met her and we were both, you know, sober and on the same path. And so I just figured it was like a a sign from God. I was like, I can walk into an AA room right now and meet 10 guys on the same path who are sober. And it doesn't mean that that's a sign from God. I know. But absolutely. And you know, and it makes it rough because I mean, especially if there's a relapse and you know, and we're not exempt from relapse either. You know, this is a daily reprieve. Um, And if we start to fall short, you know, who knows what will happen. But you know, a lot of people that know the details of that and the back and forth of it with him getting sober and then not being sober. I mean, they're all like, how have you not drank? And that's what is so beautiful is that it has never once crossed my mind. I mean, my parents moved out of state. I've been dealing with that relapse. One of my best friends passed away unexpectedly in April. And I have never, ever once thought about drinking, you know, and that is like by the grace of God staying connected. I mean, it still blows my mind that that obsession has been removed. Now, have you made amends to any of the men in your past life? Yeah. And so the one that I was with that I thought I was going to marry, the one that initially told me that I had a problem, I did reach out to him. And the only way I knew I could, which was through Facebook Messenger, and he opened it. And he didn't respond. So I'm just going to give that one to God if it happens. So that one I have been unable to just because he did not respond back. And that one's still, you know, it, it's tough to look back on that one because that is someone I thought I was going to marry. And, you know, but the one that I was living with when things really went off the chain, I actually love our men's story. So when we ended, it was bad. Our last conversation was really ugly, you know, and my family wanted to blame him, even though it was all me, you know, it, it just got really, really ugly. And so we didn't talk for, gosh, I mean, at least a year, if not more. And then I um, had finally... I finally felt like it was time to reach out. And so I did. And he didn't respond back for a couple of days. He, he let me sweat it out. Um, but he, he responded and I was like, oh, I have a message from him. And he was very receptive. And so when all was said and done, he actually ended up making amends to me too, which was not even my goal. I, my goal was to make my amends and clean up, you know, hold myself accountable and to clean up my side of the street but he made amends too and now he's one of my closest friends like I talk to him pretty much every day and see him on a weekly basis and we're totally just buddies like you know I did not ever think I was that was one I was really nervous to make and it ended up being one of the best best experiences oh that's wonderful yeah. Um, anybody else have any questions? Okay. You said that you felt like a new woman after your fifth step. What happened? Well, I I mean, it's so hard to put into words. I mean, my it took almost, like, almost three hours. And the funny thing is, my list wasn't even that long. She even was like, you don't seem like the type that really holds grudges. But the ones that I did have on there, you know, I don't know, it was it was such a relief. And it was so interesting to see my part in things. She when we talked, I mean, she she explained my part to me in just like a way I never would have thought about. And I was just I was just like, Oh my gosh, but and then I even put silly ones on there. Like I always tell people I'm like anybody that you don't have the warm and fuzzies about like it doesn't have to be catastrophic. But it just was, you know, we laughed, we cried. And she wrote down my list of character defects. And she just kept going and going. And I was like, "Uh, that's enough. (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, I just felt 
like liberated just so liberated i remember i even walked into my oxford house after she had dropped me off and everybody was like you have pep in your step right now i mean and i hadn't even told them and i was like oh well i just did my fifth step and i feel really good about it and that was really when i was like okay i feel like i'm kind of seeing the problem now and i feel like i can really do this and really you know really changed my ways really as you know as a result of this program it's Mm -hmm. it's so crazy to me like when I think back about how I was before it feels like that person like just literally doesn't exist like when it says we were reborn in the book I never wanted to believe that when I was like first trying to get sober I believed all the bad things that the book talked about from our past but I didn't want to believe any of the good and it is Mm -hmm. just it's so true you know what you get as a result of working these steps and having a spiritual awakening and living by the spiritual, spiritual principles. So well, so it is coming to the hour mark. So my final question for you, and thank you so much. I loved getting to know you more and getting to talk to you more. It's always so fun. I feel so lucky that I get to do these and especially with the staff members. Cause I probably know all of you guys, better than anybody else just Mm -hmm. so you know (laughs) all the dirty details (laughs) but now the whole public is going to know them too so my question my wrap-up question for you dear is if you could leave us with one takeaway like if the listeners the newcomers everybody was only going to be able to hear this one part of the podcast everything else was going to be deleted what would be the one thing that you would want to make sure people would hear I had a feeling you would ask something like that (laughs) and I don't even have anything planned I would say that it is possible and you just have to be willing and so so honest honest about everything Mm -hmm. honesty is something that's very foreign to us when we're drinking And that, you know, if you're honest, I mean, I just think you can get over any hurdle and just be willing, you know, for me, I was like, it's not going to hurt me to try to do these steps. And, you know, if it's going to work for all these women around me, why not me? Mm -hmm. And, um, and the promises come true, but that's wonderful. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you, ladies who held on to the, to the end. I hope you guys have such a wonderful day. Um, and this was wonderful, Carly. I love you. I'll see you Thank later. Thank you. I love you. Bye, y'all. Thanks. This podcast is from the Magdalene House, a recovery community for alcoholic women. We are a nonprofit organization located in Dallas, Texas, and we provide comprehensive recovery services to alcoholic women at absolutely no cost. You can learn more and support our mission at MagdalenHouse.org. Thank you.